This is Purple Radio on demand. It's kind of true. It's my brother actually. Oh. So you played eighteen holes with your brother? No, no, his brother played eighteen oh. holes with Lee Westwood. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Gone Too Far, which is, I must admit, quite a bleary-eyed episode. I was up until 1am writing a theatre review, and it's needless to say that other members of the cast today are quite tired. Ben Sharp is currently outside with his head slammed on the desk. He's had a late night. AB, currently you're the only one in the studio with me. How are you doing? I'm alright, this is the earliest I think I've been up, especially as a history student, for a couple of months. <laughs> so I'm struggling, but I'm here. That's, that's an what achievement, matters. that's amazing. Yeah, so when Ben comes in, we will be having a bit of our Valentine's Day threesome, you could say. AB, do you have any romantic plans for today? Well, yeah, I've got a little bit of a choice. I can't decide whether to watch Valencia play Atletico Madrid or Borussia Dortmund play Eintracht Frankfurt. That is a very difficult choice to make. It's also the perfect way to spend Valentine's Day. Yeah. No romance for me. I have a lesson on the language of love at 2pm French grammar. Maybe it doesn't set the heart racing. But speaking of racing, we can segue into the steeplechase for the Serie A title, which is palpitating at the moment. We'll start with the 296th Milan derby, which took place last weekend and finished 4-2 to Inter Milan after they overturned a 2-0 deficit in the second half. AB, just want to walk us through the game? Yeah, I watched this game. It was an absolutely brilliant game of football. Um, AC Milan started fantastically. They were by far the better team in the first half. They were helped out by the fact that Tamia Handanovic, his goalkeeper, had a broken finger, so they left him on a bench and Daniela Padelli was starting in goal. For both goals, Ante Rebic and Zlatan Ibrahimovic scoring, it's hardly bad goalkeeping. I wouldn't describe it as bad goalkeeping, but a better goalkeeper, namely probably Handanovic. Would have, saved, would, have, would have saved them. And so for that 45 minutes, it, it was, in my opinion, the best 45 minutes AC Milan have played under Stefano Pioli, perhaps up until last night, which we'll get on to in the, in the Coppa Italia. But then the second half, I had, I had a weird feeling watching the game in the second half. The Inter started 2-0 down, but it never really felt like they were out of control. It never really felt that the game was sort of beyond them. And I, I know that's all very good and easy to say now, that they've won 4-2. But really, they were absolutely brilliant. They came streaming out of the uh, streaming out of the blocks and scored a couple of early goals, got it back to 2 all, And actually, AC Milan nearly brought it back in the 88th minute. Zlatan Ibrahimovic hit the woodwork. And one minute later, uh, Romelu Lukaku had gone up the other end and, and scored and made it 4-2. So, you know, I think this was a case where you could really see that across 90 minutes into team currently has more quality which we know we know it does but it does also show it's very encouraging for AC Milan they're clearly moving in the right direction uh they're clearly making progress under Stefano Pioli this this result will hurt but when you take into the account the way they started the season AC Milan this Mm -hmm. is definitely progress uh, and I know they're 10th at the moment but it's a bit like the Premier League it's very bunched they're only two points behind Hellas Verona in, in sixth place. But for Inter, you know, this is fantastic in the sense that they're now top of the league. They're above Juventus on 54 points. And it's uh, it's very encouraging going forward. Yeah, well, um, eight wins in 18 games for Stefano Pioli. He's certainly improved the team. What I would say, though, is 
They seem to be suffering damaging defeats at the top end sides, Juventus, Roma, Lazio, Atalanta, now into Milan. I think that's a quality difference, even with regards to teams like Atalanta. Yeah. I think AC Milan's recruitment has been a little bit sketchy. Some signings haven't quite worked out. Have they planned them? Rafael Liao is still struggling to find his... Well, he's struggling to get game time. Every time he plays, he looks excellent, but he's struggling to find game time. Christoph Piontek has obviously completely tailed off this season. He's now been sold to Hertha Berlin. That hasn't quite worked out. Do you get the sense that this is a worse team than, say, a couple of seasons ago when there was a lot of optimism? They were bringing in Benucci, Ricardo Rodriguez, and, you know, Unter Vincenzo Montella. They were supposed to put up a real challenge for the title. Do you think that they've declined since then? I think certainly in terms of results. I'm, I'm not sure in terms of overall quality that they've declined, but certainly in terms of the appointment of Marco Giampaolo was one that really didn't work out. Yeah. That, that first half of the season was absolutely abysmal, both on and off the pitch. Uh, and now Pioli's come in and he is seen as a sort of short-term option. They were talking about Ralph Rangnick coming in at the end of the season. Yeah. That's now not happening. But the fact that those conversations are taking place, that they're looking to bring in someone like Rangnick, shows that Stefano Pioli was only ever a stopgap solution. Albeit one that I think is going just about okay at the moment. But certainly his long-term future at the club is in, is in a little bit of doubt despite the fact that he's I think more than anything he's had a, a solidarity to the side there was you know when Marco Giampaolo left there was a real lack of unity both on on and off the pitch and now that it's a little bit more stable they can make a push for the for the Europa League as I said they're only two points behind Hellas Verona yeah speaking about Pioli being a short-term option there's also reports from Mundo Deportivo that Paolo Maldini at the top of AC Milan has contacted Marcelino, who of course reached the Europa League semi-finals with Villarreal. He won the Copa del Rey last season mm. with Valencia. And I think it was such an unfair sacking at the start of this season. There was such uproar when Valencia sacked him because, you know, consecutive Champions League. Yeah, I mean, it, it was... Well, the Marcelino situation at Valencia was very, very funny in the sense that he had a very public falling out with the owner and then he sort of spent the entire first half of the season going, come on, sack me if you dare, sack me if you dare. <laughs> And eventually they just did. Uh, so, but there's no doubt it wasn't really anything on the field that got Marcelino sacked. So he's a good manager, certainly one who would seem slightly more exciting, if that's the right word, I for so. AC Milan fans. And so that's definitely one to watch out for. Personally, I think purely safe until the end of the season. But I think yeah. once the end of the season comes about, I think there are going to be one or two little decisions to make for, for Marcelino and, and Pioli. Yeah, well, Ibrahimovic is coming and done an amazing job. Six goals in three games. Well, it was a fantastic moment last night in the Coppa Italia where Gianluigi Buffon made a save from Zlatan Ibrahimovic and you just sort of have to remind yourself that it's 2020 and not <laughs> 2010. But it's great to see him still scoring. It's great to see Buffon uh, still keeping, albeit as a backup to Wojciech Chesney. Uh, it's just these little sentimental things, I guess. <laughs> and at the top of the table, Inter Milan, they're currently level on points with Juventus. Same games played, but they're unbeaten in 16 games. Antonio Conte, what a difference he has made. Yeah, you look at that side and you think the depth that they've got now as well, which was a criticism in recent seasons, but Romelu Lukaku has been a revelation. I never doubted him. A lot of people at Manchester United didn't like him. They said, oh, maybe he's a bit too sluggish. I was always in disagreement with that. He's a fine goal scorer. And into Milan, you know, they're acquitting themselves really, really well. Yeah, well, you talk about that depth. Antonio Conte has finally got his depth after the January transfer window. He did a very Antonio Conte sort of thing and spent the entire first half of the season complaining about, oh, we are only one injury away from a crisis. And finally, he's brought in 
a whole host of players, you know, some of them from England, Ashley Young, Victor Moses, Christian Eriksen. And he's got this team playing very, very good football. I think there is still this sort of idea that they can't compete on all fronts. They've been knocked out of the Champions League, of course. They were absolutely exhausted against Napoli in midweek in the Coppa Italia. They, the Milan derby had clearly taken a lot out of them. And this is what Conte said earlier, uh, said afterwards, in fact, that, well, we lost that game because we are just so tired. And so there is still that little question mark about whether they've got the legs to compete over the course of the season, uh, especially as that they've dropped down into the Europa League. Yeah. But certainly they're, they're top of the league now and there is a very, at least very good chance, especially with the way Juventus are playing, that we could see for the first time in, it'll be nine seasons, a non Turin or a non-Juventus champion. Yeah, non-Juventus. Yeah, non-Juventus champion even. So it's it's very exciting. They've got a very exciting midfield as well in the sense of Nicolo Barea. When Stefano Sensi comes back from injury, he started the season off fantastically and then got injured. You mentioned Lukaku, who's been absolutely fantastic this season. And then their back three, I think Stefan de Vrij has been possibly the most underrated player in yeah. Serie A this season. He's been brilliant. Milan Skriniar is a player who's being flirted with by Manchester City and Pep Guardiola. Diego Jordin has come in. They've got this young lad, Bastoni, who's been carefully keeping Jordin out the side. So there's all sorts of quality all over the field. And it's a very good time, certainly domestically, to be an yeah. Inter Milan fan. Yeah, De Vrij had a very good apprenticeship with Lazio, made the move to Inter Milan two seasons ago. And, and actually he's been flying since then. Just add was mentioned the Lazio. It's Inter Milan versus Lazio this weekend. Absolutely mm-hmm. huge match on the top of the table. Yeah. Fun to watch. So speaking about their rivals at the top of the table, of course Juventus. However, they're not in the best of places at the moment. Hellas Verona beat them 2-1 at the weekend. Hellas Verona, incredible. They're, they're in sixth place. Juventus did hit the woodwork twice and took the lead through Ronaldo, but unfortunately, Hellas Verona got back into the game and won it with a couple of familiar names, Fabio Barini and Pizzini, scoring the penalty. Juventus are having a bit of a crisis at the moment. Um, President Andre Agnelli has warned of a clear out if things don't improve. He's visited the training ground, he's held a meeting with senior players like De Ligt, Chiellini, Ronaldo, and... It seems like certain problems that emerged under Sarri at Chelsea are now surfacing again at Juventus. Well, actually, can I just start by talking about Verona for one moment? Because I think yeah, they, just, they deserve a lot of credit. Because in the last three matches, they've drawn with AC Milan, they've drawn with Lazio, and they've beaten Juventus. As you say, they're now six. Defensively, they're excellent. And the first half of that game against Juventus, the first 25 minutes especially, they just came streaming at them. It was yeah. brilliant. And it's all a little bit of a surprise because Ivan Juric is a man who was sacked three times by Genoa. And now he's come into Hellas Verona and it's just doing fantastically. They're having an absolutely brilliant season. And those three matches, these weren't flukes. The two draws against AC Milan and Lazio, there's no reason why they couldn't have won those games. And so it'll be interesting to see whether they can go the entire season. You know, if you're looking for a contender for manager of the season and maybe slightly hippie left field choice then Ivan Juric is your man but yes it's very interesting that you mentioned what's going at Juventus I'm not sure that the criticism of Sarri and there has been a lot of criticism of Sarri in the press not sure that's all been completely justified I think he's trying to play Sarri ball which is of course the title of football he played at Chelsea and he's been playing all his career but I don't think personally that this midfield is dynamic enough 
to play it. Too slow, really? too slow, um, and just too lethargic at times. And you saw that last night as well against AC Milan when they needed a, a 90th minute Ronaldo penalty to bail them out. I'm not sure under Allegri if he came back and there, are talk, there is talk of him coming back. I'm not sure things would be that much different. If Sarri doesn't win the Scudetta, he is going to be under a lot of pressure. He's not completely blameless, of course. There are, but there are problems in this squad. There are certain signings that haven't worked. That Matthias Delis has, has looked very raw since coming in. Doesn't look the same player at all. So I think that's just a question of stepping up into a bigger league. I think he's a world class talent, and it's only a matter of time until he until he shows what a great player he is. But he was being kept out the side by Medi Demaral, who's now got injured, and so you look at that midfield, uh, that Juventus side, and players like. Mirela Pjanic, and they're not good players, but they're not conducive to playing Sarri style of football. And not Rabio, potentially, p- potentially Rabio, yeah. But I think he needs a transfer window, but he, as in a proper summer transfer window. But I'm not sure he's going to get it because, as we've discussed, Inter Milan right in the title race, Lazio right in the title race, and if he doesn't win that, he's not. He's not going to get a transfer. Let's not kid ourselves. He's not going to last beyond the summer. Yeah, there are mitigating circumstances because they have had a lot of injuries. Chiellini's been missing, Danilo, um, Demirel, Kadira. The list goes on and on and on. However, Kadira wouldn't fix anything, but same, <laughs> same difference. However, they had a similar problem at Chelsea, and that was down to his training sessions. He would have very intensive training sessions, even on the day of games. If they had a late kickoff, they'd be playing training matches beforehand, and he came with a lot of criticism for that. Also, there's players who complained at Chelsea being unmotivated. Some even saying he didn't know their name. And what he would do is split the defence and they go and train on one half of the pitch, the attack on the other half. And they felt if he's only focusing on one, there's no cohesion in the team. This season, he's also left the likes of Emre Chan and Mario Mandzukic out of the Champions League. That can't be motivating. You have these key players who you know play 30-plus games a season before who aren't being recognised for that. No, absolutely. And I'll just counter that with... I'll first of all start by saying I'm far from a Maritu Sarri apologist as much as I might be coming across as it on this pod. But for all that criticism that he got at Chelsea last season, what a fantastic season. They won the Europa League, lost the League Cup final on penalties to Manchester City and finished third in the Premier League. Yeah. I think if you look at that, you've got to say he did brilliantly. So... It's not always the case that whilst he comes under this internal and external criticism, there is a complete lack of cohesion. I don't think that's the case. I, I think it's more, in the, in the case of Juventus, a problem of not having the right players to suit his system, which is unfortunate because I he's think... He's got plenty of players. He's got two in each position, surely. No, but, no, but he doesn't have the right players. He doesn't have the players who Does are... Does he need to change his system, though? He's not going to change his term. Maurizio Sarri, you get two sorts of managers. You get the pragmatists and you get the ideologues. Maurizio Sarri is the ultimate ideologue. He will not change his style of football, for better or for worse. Um, and we've had... Arsene Wenger was a complete ideologue. Mm. Look at how successful he was. So uh, there's no right or wrong way of, of going about it, Luke. But in this case, I, Maurizio Sarri hasn't changed his system in... All the years that he has been in football management, he's not going to change it now because he doesn't have a midfield that's working cohesively and his transitions aren't quite working out. I still think that Juventus will recover their season. They've got players who are, and I'm talking specifically, of course, about Cristiano Ronaldo, but also players like Gonzalo Higuain, 
um, players like Giorgio Cellini, as much as we, he's been injured, he's still a huge dressing room influence. Players who are winners. And if you ask me to call the Serie A title race at the moment, I'm not going to. Because I'm certainly not right. You have to. Oh, no. I, I'm certainly not. And I think, if you look at it, the level on points would enter. So, it would be crazy to, to, uh, to, to, to write them off completely. And it's just a case of how quickly Sarri can find a solution to this form. Find a solution to the problems he's got, particularly in midfield. If he does that quickly, I think they've got the resources, especially as we've mentioned, with Inter tiring easily. I think yeah. Sarri's got the resources to win the league. If he doesn't, then it's very, very interesting. And also, by the way, I don't want to insult any Lazio fans because they're very much in the title race. And if they keep going the way they're going, it's going to be it's going to be very, very good. Yeah, very, very close. And just before, because I know you want us to move on to, to Spain, I just want to very quickly mention the Coppa Italia. Yes. First leg semi-final results uh, in the last couple of nights. First of all, Napoli beat Inter Milan 1-0 and then AC Milan uh, as I've just mentioned, drew nine, drew one all with Juventus thanks to a 90th minute Ronaldo penalty for the Turin side. It's uh, it's all setting up to be a very very tasty second leg in both cases. Indeed it is. And now we're going to move on to Spain, as you said, and we're going to start with a result that maybe people haven't seen because they don't focus on the sides that are perceived as smaller as much. But Hetafe beat Valencia three 0 Now I have so much to say about Hetafe. I'll just introduce. Their story. They got promoted in 2017 um, with Jose Bordalas in charge. He was a very suavely dressed man. I always think he looks like a, quite a cool physics teacher, yes. Jose Bordalas. Yeah, it's more like a tuxedo than anything. Yeah. You know, very finely trimmed goatee. What's really funny is if you look at him before he took the Hitafe job at his previous jobs, he looks completely different. Yeah, he yeah, doesn't yeah. have a beard. He's actually yeah. got carrying quite a lot more weight. And now he's lost that. He's grown yeah. a beard and as you say, he does look very smart. Yeah, well, he had 11 previous jobs and he didn't really succeed in that many of them. He did actually get Deportivo Alaves promoted. However, he got sacked for his style of football, which is probably quite upsetting for him. But anyway, moving on. In 2017-18, they came 8th. Last season, they came fifth and were in the race for the Champions League all the way throughout. And they only lost out by two points to Valencia. So this 3-0 win over them is probably a bit of karma and stops Valencia from overtaking them. People complain about the style. I believe it was Kike Setien who once said, this isn't football, after he drew 2-2 with them. And I think Jose Bordalas had some choice words to say right back in And it's going to be very interesting when those two meet this weekend as well. Um... They actually missed out on Champions League football on the last day of the season, last yeah. season. It was absolutely heartbreaking. In fairness, the big result came a couple of weeks before that when they drew 2 all with Leganes, which is what really cost them. But actually, I think the most remarkable statistic about Jose Bordelas and Hitafe is when he took over, they were second bottom of the Secunda. And now they're yeah. third in La Liga. It is an absolutely remarkable story. You talk about the style of football, which is unbelievably direct. They consistently have the least amount of possession of any side in La Liga. There have been complaints about how often the game gets stopped, not just because they're committing fouls, but because they're how often the ball is put into touch. But this system, I tell you what, it works. And boy, did it work against Valencia on Saturday. Their performance was absolutely, and I don't say this lightly, Luke, outstanding. It was one of the best performances I've seen from any team this season. Valencia had absolutely no answer to them. It was just wave after wave after wave of attack. There are a couple of names I'd like to mention, actually. First of all, Cuckoo, the left winger who 
was absolutely electric throughout the entire game. Hamemata, missed a couple of good chances, yep. in fairness, but he was, in terms of build-up play, he was brilliant. He and got then, his goal in the end. Got his goal in the end. And finally, Jorge Molina, 37 years young, and it was a brilliant chant. Well, not, but it was a very common chant to hear around Hatafe now, around the Alfonso Perez. Uh, Jorge Molina Selección, Jorge Molina Selección, Jorge Molina Selection. In other words, Luis Enrique call up Jorge Milena. And to be honest, it's difficult to think of a centre-forward in Spain who's playing better than Jorge Milena at the moment. This will just caveat all of this with the fact that Valencia were terrible. But this is a side who are absolutely relentless across 90 minutes. Their fitness levels are outstanding. They play this style of football which, which works for them. And there's been talk about Jose, Mil uh, Jose Bordelas being potentially a B-Tech Diego Simeone. What do you think better than Diego Simeone at the moment? This yeah. is an outstanding story. And they're now in a Champions League spot. They're three points clear of, of Sevilla, who lost on the weekend. And there's no reason, the way they've been playing, there's no reason they shouldn't go all the way this season and finish in the Champions League places. Also, I want to mention there was an absolutely fantastic moment with Gabriel Palista, formerly of Arsenal, uh, now of Valencia, in his post-match interview, where I think he's, he's being interviewed, I think, by Sid Lowe. And Sid asks him, so, Gabriel, in Spanish, so, Gabriel, what did you make of that performance? And there's a pause for about six or seven seconds. It's a ridiculously long pause. And after that, Gabriel Palisa just says, it was all. At this point, AB uses a very naughty word. So I've made the executive decision of silencing him. <laughs> Everything was... Naughty word alert! From start to finish, it was... AB uses a very naughty word for the third time. AB is pushing his luck very far. <laughs> and, and so, they were really riled, actually, uh, Valencia, by, by Hatafi. And they're going to have to bounce back before they're targeting Atalanta in the Champions League, because they were shocking. But take nothing away from this absolutely incredible story developing in one of the Madrid suburbs this season. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, well, you mentioned before about their fitness and something that I, I found online was really interesting. They were actually the first team in Europe to use supposedly advanced software by teaming up with Zone 7, who are a data analytics company run by former Israeli security service agents. So these are military men who know what they're doing with fitness and they design training sessions to ensure peak fitness. And they were the first club in Europe to use the technology. And they actually only had eight injuries in La Liga last season, despite the fact of having old players like Molina and Matthew Flamini was there last season. So they're ensuring peak fitness by using this software and training sessions that apparently nobody else is using. They're also a super determined side. You look at players like Jaime Mata, he joined from Valladolid in 2018. And Incredible he, career. Yeah, he actually refused to go to the Chinese Super League for £5 million a year. He's obviously somebody determined. He's somebody who loves his football more than, loves his more than he loves his money and it's reaping the benefits. He's playing absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's showing. This is a team with the fourth lowest budget in the league the sixth lowest wage budget. But, but they're flying and I, I do back them to finish in the Champions League places this season. Absolutely. So, so do I. It's very easy to say. Um, given that there are, have been another, a number of other clubs who have had sort of runs of form in the league at the season. You know, remember Granada and then Real Sociedad. But yeah. Tafe do seem like a real deal, and I agree. Uh, and I think, just like They're that... They're putting it together over a number of seasons. Exactly, as well, like, exactly. Um, and I'd just like to add 
at the end, uh, I think pick of the ties in the Europa League is going to be Ajax versus Hatafe. I think that's going to be yeah. brilliant. Yeah. All right, so we'll move on to Barcelona now, who managed to secure a 3-2 victory at Real Betis. That was Kike Setien's seventh game in charge. It's the fifth he's won. He has lost two. I, I don't know if it's really working out as well as he would have liked at Barcelona. It's not that impressive, really, is it? Well, Two keep, losses in seven games? No, he keeps saying in press conferences, you have to trust the process, you have to trust the process. Now, it's all very good and well until you realise that they are three points behind Real Madrid and they were level in points when he came in. This match was, was an amazing game of football. Uh, Betis against Barcelona has been the highest scoring game of football uh, in La Liga across the last two or three seasons. We've had some amazing results, sort of 5-2s and, and 5-1s and whatnot. And this was this was no different. Is Nabil Fakir was electric. He gave Real Betis two one lead before Sergio Busquets equalised. And there's still this idea that Barca quite aren't functioning at a hundred percent under Setien. He he got a Betis being his former club, of course, this was his homecoming. He got quite a warm reception there, despite having fallen out with the fans mm. a little bit towards the end of the season. But especially when you look at the fact that someone like Messi has now not scored in twenty seven shots. That's you know a remarkable statistic for Lionel Messi, and it's it's not quite come together as you like. There are definitely signs there, but it's always been the criticism of Keke Setien that he's first of all not managed to create a team with an attacking dynamic because they're too based on playing sideways possession football. That's not a criticism, of course. You can make of this game; they scored three goals, but yeah. certainly up until this point, it's not something that's worked out for him. And then when they do come and score three goals, they concede two immediately. So there's something that's not quite right there. Having said that, they're obviously still in the Champions League. They're still in the uh, in, in the race for La Liga. But I'm not sure. And naturally, he was their fourth choice appointment as manager. I'm not sure if the signs are completely 100%. Well, they're definitely not completely 100% positive. And where this goes... Uh, from here, the rest of the season, I think is going to be very, very interesting. I don't know. I'm not sure about how it's going to go. I, I would suspect that they will stay in the hunt for the Liga, whether they win that, I'm not sure. But I don't, yeah, don't, Real Madrid at the top of the moment. Yeah, I don't think they're going to win the Champions League. And I'm not sure sort of going forward how much of a success this is going to be. And especially they've got Hatafe next. That's an absolutely huge game. Yeah, they're only three points off Real Madrid, 10 points in the last five games. I don't feel like they're particularly much worse than they were under Valverde. And I think we have to remember that this is a side that is not the same as it was five years ago. Okay, they've retained Busquets in the middle, but there's no Xavi there anymore. There's no Iniesta. Players like Frankie de Jong, they're only young. I, I think that we need to afford them more time until they can become the imperious Barcelona side can win consecutive titles like the I 100% agree with you. I'm just not convinced that Keke Setien is the man to provide that time for them. Is there an over-reliance on Lionel Messi? This oh, absolutely. There's an absolutely. over-reliance on, on Lionel Messi. It's sort of a case almost that pass the ball to Messi to, 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 to get out of to get out yeah. of trouble a lot of the time, which you know you can argue has been the case in previous seasons, but it's more than more prominent than ever. And you speak about them losing two games, and this coincides with Messi's sort of 
you want to call it a drought. It's never a drought for Messi, but he hasn't scored in 27 shots. I think that's personally because he's taking up a slightly different positioning um, than he used to. He's playing more centrally and he obviously under Anisto Valverde would come in from, from, from the wing, particularly from the left, and he'd be able to open his body up and shoot. Now he's coming more, more central with sort of Griezmann yeah. uh, on, on one side and, and especially with the injury to Luis Suarez, he sort of seems to be filling in that position. He's not quite getting those angles that he used to, which is possibly down to it. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult for Barcelona to state the obvious when Messi leaves. And especially, I think that's come to the fore this season because without him, I think they'd be in all sorts of trouble. Yeah, he was crying out for Neymar in the summer. And now with the injury to Dembele, you wonder, is this going to come back to bite them? They are looking at getting an emergency signing, yeah. which... which some some most of the teams in La Liga aren't that happy because if your squad isn't full with enough satisfactory players for you, you shouldn't have the right. But they're looking at William Jose, for instance, mm. coming in, and I, I I don't think that's really fair just because Dembele's got a long term injury. Well, yeah, this is a rule in Spain that if a player is injured for more than five months, then you're allowed to bring in a alternative, an emergency an emergency signing. And obviously, this was an idea that was come up with Liga and the Spanish authorities, and nobody outside Spain agreed to it. And so that player has to come from from within Spain. The favourite at the moment, the favourite striker is coming to replace Usman uh, Dembele is Angel Rodriguez from Hitafe. Uh, yeah. William Jose, as we've also mentioned, is is in the uh, is in the frame. Lucas Perez, formerly of Arsenal, Deportivo Alaves, uh, is also there. Loren Moron, he's had a brilliant season at Betis, and naturally. Setien has worked with him in yeah. the past. Uh, so they don't strike me as winger figures, though. Like no, but no, but this could be a case of trying to shift Messi back out wide yeah. and playing one of those guys through through the center. So they're all good strikers. I'm not sure any of them are. The Europa League level. Yeah, I mean, actually, in fairness, I think Angel Rodriguez of Hatafe could be a could be a striker who could make it in the Champions League and Europa League. Obviously, Spurs linked with William Jose. Yeah, but they don't seem to be. Overly fast that they didn't get him, so maybe that's yeah. a sort of he, he's a good player, but that, that's a sort of level. So it, it's interesting, but uh, you speak about it not being particularly fair. It's it's very insular thing in Spain. It's very Spanish thing. Um, and now that Dembele is injured for six months, there and also the injury to Suarez, of course, they're they'll be looking to, yeah. to bring someone. Especially now that I'm not sure we, we'll see that much of Luis Suarez in, in a Barcelona shirt again. I think he's. Just about in time. It's looked like he's just about in time to come back at the end of the season. But he's playing. He's going to play maybe three or four games at the end of that. Maybe more at Barcelona or the Champions League. And then I'm not sure he's going to be there next season. And so they're now looking for a, a long-term striker, a long-term replacement in that position. Right. The time is ten thirty-three. I think we're going to try and bring uh, study withered Ben Sharp into the room. He said he was in the library at six a.m. this morning. He's been working very hard. We're going to try and take him to rise from the ashes if we can. So we'll be back in a moment. We have retrieved Ben Sharp from the Purple Radio Central Room. Ben, how are you doing? I am absolutely knackered. <laughs> he, he is absolutely knackered. Like his Inter eyes, Milan. His eyes are currently shut. Luckily, you don't need your eyes to speak. Ben, I believe you've got a story for us. Now, we played this game, me and AB, last week, and it wasn't quite the best because there were only two of us. And basically, you might be telling an amazing story that's completely true, completely false, or is it a mix of both? Ben, would you like to take it away? Uh, so my sporting memory is when I was younger, I uh, played around with Lee Westwood, the golfer. Really? Yeah. And where, where, where was this? Down at his home club. Somewhere near work, so I can't remember exactly. Okay, and so you were just a young boy? 
Yeah. What was he like? Very nice, very down to earth, always just wanting to be nice to people. Uh, probably one of the nicest people I've met. AB, what do you make of this? I'm not a huge golf fan, but uh, sounds like Lee Westwood is, is a good chap, yeah. Yeah, he sounds like a good chap, but I, I'm not fully convinced. I reckon maybe there's another golfer. I, I, I think he's trying to deceive us. Ben, can you can you elaborate a bit more on this story? Uh, so I, well, basically, I won the uh, chance to play. With, I won the chance to play with him after I um, did one of his academies. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean that's really and there's not really much to say. And I uh, got a chance to play with him around eighteen holes. Eighteen holes. Who won? He is. He won. That's a surprise. Right, um. I think, no, you know what, I think there would be no point you making this up. You've been quite direct with it. So, AB, I don't know about you, I'm going to say that this is a true story. Yeah, it's a true story, yeah. Ben? It's kind of true, it's my brother, actually. Oh. <laughs> so you played 18 holes with your brother? No, no his brother played 18 no. holes with Lee Westwood. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it wouldn't have been anywhere near as exceptional. Oh, is your brother a really good golf player? Yeah. Very good player. Very good. Yeah. Were, were you there? Yes, I was there. Cheering him on. Yeah. Unfortunately, your support didn't quite drag him to victory. <laughs> um, right, that was a very interesting story. I think we will turn our attention now to the Bundesliga. Because AB, of course, especially you're a massive fan of the Bundesliga. I'm a fan of the And I'm sure everybody is at the moment. There were some incredible games at the weekend. I mean, we can start, first of all, with Bayer Leverkusen beating Borussia Dortmund 4-3. Bayer Leverkusen currently fifth in the table. If Dortmund would have won that, they would have been only one point off Bayern Munich. But defensive frailty showed, and despite the fact that they've scored the most goals in the Bundesliga this season, they only have the ninth best defence, um, joined with sides like Union Berlin. Mm. So, very unbalanced side. Well, yeah, you really got that impression watching this game. It was a game that neither side could seem to defend. And every time the opposition side got the ball, it seemed like, they could score, and that's sort of part and parcel of the way Peter Boster, by Leverkusen manager, plays football. But it's also been part and parcel of the way Lucien Fabra, who's this coach renowned for you know very technical, very minute sort of uh, differences he tries to make in you know, on the training pitch. You know, he works on the foot positionings and where players take their hands, and that's all well and good. But there's been a lot of criticism. Well, work on that, but also just try and coach the defence because they're not up to it at the moment. They're, Two wing-backs were bombing up so high the pitch. Zagadou looked a little bit rough and ready. It was a it was a really, really difficult game of football for them. And eventually, it was, it was, don't get me wrong, it was, a, it was a fantastic game of football. But just some of the decisions he made, for example, bringing on Gio Reyna just after half-time, um, the 17-year-old lad, son of Claudio Reyna. Um, You're not happy with him being sucked on recently. No, no, because he they had more options on the bench. Players like Torgan Hazard and Mario Goetze, but he chose not to go with them and yeah. instead to go with, with Gio Reyna, who came on, didn't make a contribution to the game, aside from committing a silly foul in the build-up to a, to a goal by Jadon Sancho, which was disallowed. And so you, you've got to question those sorts of those sorts of decisions. And um, and yeah, so that's really cost them. And now I think Lucien Favre is actually under quite a, quite a bit of pressure, to be honest, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Gio Reyna coming on. I think it's a bit too early for him. There are some really impressive younger players like Hakimi in centre-back. He's only mm. 21 years old and he seems to play with a maturity beyond his years. Mm. Uh, ben, are you impressed with the, the youthful exuberance of Borussia Dortmund? 
AB, you're having to go. I do. Yeah. I've got a presentation. That's fine. In my seminar in about ten minutes, so I, I, I've got to go. But have yeah, absolutely. Rest. Thank you for coming on. No it's been worries. amazing. See you around. Um, yeah, I'm impressed by what uh, Bruce and Dawn have been doing. I mean, I read an article this week which said that they don't have, they don't uh, buy superstars; they produce them. That's kind of true if you look at their records. But that us buy Munich have an awful season and they're really going to win the Bundesliga. You think Bayern Munich are definitely going to win the Bundesliga? Without doubt. Without, Without doubt. How come? Yeah. I just think they're too strong in terms of the squad depth overall compared to... Um, compared to the other sides at the exactly. top of the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think that is very, very reasonable. They only got a nil-nil draw with Leipzig at the weekend, of course. That was a very fierce game and Leipzig are only one point behind Bayern Munich. I don't think it's all that well and good at the moment. I think that... They, they could, if, if they suffer from a dip, okay, they've got 13 points in the last five games. But I think you look at the likes of Leipzig and what Timo Werner can do on and off the ball and the threat that they produce, I don't think it's a given that Bayern Munich are going to storm to the Bundesliga this season. No, but I still think they're going to win it, regardless. Even if they even if they are going to have to limp over the line, I still think they've got enough squad depth to get them over that line. Okay, now we're going to move on to the Championship. We're on home turf, we've returned, we've sailed around Europe and now finally we're back. And what the season is turning out to be, Leeds were criticised last season for being bottlers. And I was I was very, very upset with that because I thought Leeds produced an amazing campaign. And just because they didn't go by the playoffs, I thought, you know what, Bielsa is doing a fantastic job there. And they've lost Pontus Janssen at the start of this season, but they're carrying on and they're producing some amazing football. Liam Cooper, he's been great in centre-back. But I really like what I'm seeing from Leeds at the moment. However, they are level on points with Fulham, managed by Scott Parker. And Scott Parker's doing an amazing job in his first full season as a manager. Do you think that Leeds are going to slip up again? Could they even slip out of the playoffs? They're only three points ahead of Bristol City in seventh. Well, they could very well. I mean, they're on a really bad run at the moment. Um, But... And I don't see that necessarily come to the end of the championship. It's very hard to when you're in the rut to get out of that rut because the games come so quick and fast. But I think West Brom are definitely going up. But they, there's potential for them to miss out even on the playoffs. Completely agree with you. Yeah, Notts Forest beat them 2-0 at the weekend. And so they are definitely staring down the barrel of potentially slipping out. But I agree with you. I think that it'll all come good. And even though they're on a poor run, they've only actually accumulated four points in the last five games. I think they will be okay. Another side that are resurgent to the moment are Preston North End. They beat Stoke on Wednesday night. I, of course, have grown up near Preston and I, I enjoy watching them. But I don't think we're going to focus on them. I'm very sorry if there are any Preston fans listening. But I think Stoke are actually worthy of more mention. Because it seems like it's been such a fall from grace for them. They finished 16th last year. They sacked Gary Rowett. They brought in Nathan Jones, who did so well at Luton, only to go and sack him. And it seems like nothing was really working until Michael O'Neill has come in. And he's done well. He's won eight of his 18 games in charge. But they're still 21st in the league. They're only four points ahead of Wigan Athletic. Surely Stoke have to be expecting better with the squad they have, or... Are they not the side that they were? They've retained a lot of good players like Joe Allen, uh, Bruno Martins, Indy, and Jack Butland and Net, who was once, you know, very much in the frame for being the England goalkeeper. What's happened at Stoke? 
Yeah, they have retained some good players, but issues that their players are starting to get reach that age where they're losing their talent. If we look at Sam Bokes and other players who are um, sort of past it, so to speak, yeah. in terms of their development. Uh, Stoke are one of the teams where they've probably got a lot of players on high wages. Yeah, well, Sam Vokes, you mentioned, he's only got six goals in his two championship seasons with Stoke. In his previous two campaigns with Burnley in the championship, he, he accumulated 35. Now, infogold.net, I don't really agree with this, but they say that on an unexpected goal, Stoke should actually be second place, which I think is a bit hyperbolic, especially with Nathan Jones. They weren't playing pretty football, and things just weren't coming off them with mistakes and capitulated at the back. And it feels like they have been hard done by, by the laws and decree of fate, and it is a shame for them. But at the end of the day, you can't always use bad luck as an excuse. At the end of the day, they're 21st. There are sides like Preston North End with one of the smallest budgets in the league. You've lost key players like Callum Robinson, say, to Sheffield United at the start of the season. You are doing exceptionally well, pushing for the playoffs again. Is it terrible? Is there something, a problem at the top at Stoke? They've gone through various managers. Mm. They parachute payments have probably run out. So, I, I, I do think that their style of football is so dependent on what manager they bring in. I wouldn't say they've got necessarily an, an identity. No. When it comes to football, when it comes to the footballing uh, style. I mean, they're not the only team to be suffering. It's quite common that you will get relegated and then do terrible. You look at Portsmouth ended up in League Two after a few seasons, and Huddersfield are only one point above them in twentieth place. So even though they lost the likes of Aaron Moy, Huddersfield did manage to actually retain quite a few good players, and yet. They've been egregious this season and they, they they could very, very easily go down and they were never a Premier League-sized club. They won a few titles in the 20th century if you look back far enough through the history books. But they are generally a League One slash championship side. And I think it just goes to show that the line is a lot finer between the elite level, the Premier League and the championship that people realise. And even the parachute payments don't save teams. Sides like Swansea came down Last season, they came 10th place, which is good. But considering fighting 8th place a couple of seasons, you know, for the Europa League, it just goes to show that, that there are no guarantees and it can often take quite a few seasons to get back promoted to the Premier League, which does emphasise how well West Brom are doing with mm. Slaven Village at the moment. Oh, yeah, Slaven Village is doing an absolutely amazing job at West Brom. I mean, he's really turned that side around. They look dead certain for promotion, if not for winning the title. Yeah, 17 games, one out of the 32. They're doing outstanding. They won the last three as well. I think that will just about conclude our discussion on the championship. All right, Ben, now are you ready for the only event bigger than the Olympics? Now, I know what you're thinking. There's only one thing that could be bigger than the Olympics. But no, believe it or not, it's not an Accrington-Stanley match. It is time for the return of Defend the Indefensible. Ben? You were like a little blonde earthquake last time out, steamrolling your way to victory. Are you prepared? Just about, yes. Just about to show off your ability. If you want, you can fire one back at me if you can think of anything on the spot. And, you know, we'll, we'll see who's better at this. From one to six, which number would you like? Four, please. Four. Ooh. Strikers reach their peak around the age of 50. Well, of course I reach their peak around the age of 50. I mean, if you think about it, how do you define their peak? Uh, being 50 is one of those age you've got the wisdom to, to get into the box, 
you've got the the awareness to uh, get into the right positions and of course when you're 50 50 is the new 30 these days so um to say to say that uh um 50 is their past in their 50 is outrageous outrageous am i yes outrageous um but you only have to look at some of the great players throughout the years who've played for ages like of pele maradona there's still some players who can still kick a ball around the five side pitch <laughs> i don't think maradona's getting in the premier league in the moment i think it's out of choice <laughs> Right, well, that was, that was very good. I, I don't think he convinced me, but I think that was quite a challenging one. Ben, do you have any you would like to fire back at me? How about this one, Luke? Every Premier League fixture should be played behind closed doors. Defend it. Oh, well, I think that what you have to realise is that fans are very much a source of issue for players. Not only because you see in Italy, you know, racism towards Balotelli is terrible, and that, that that's horrible for players to go through, but they can be downright distracting. You know, if you're facing the, the, the wall at Borussia Dortmund and you've got a penalty to take, whether they're cheering you on or whether they're abusing you, surely that reduces the quality of the game. And if you see the younger players coming through nowadays, how are they supposed to learn in an environment where they're scared? How are they supposed to grow, improve and flourish when all these lights are bearing down on them? You know, there's flashing cameras. I don't I don't think that any football game, never mind Premier League, I don't think that any football game should allow fans in if we want to have a quality contest. So you're suggesting that quality, the quality will be improved once we remove fans? Well, yeah, surely you tremble when you walk out onto that pitch. Imagine, you know, you're an 18-year-old boy. You're walking out into Old Trafford and 75,000 fans. That's got to be nerve-wracking. Yeah, but doesn't it pump you up having fans there? Oh, yeah, sure, it pumps you up. But you don't want to be too pumped up, Ben. If you're too pumped up, you can't concentrate. Remember, you know, football is like a game of chess. It's mind games. You can't, you can't, you know, have blood bursting through your body. You need to be... Calm, composed. Okay, I wasn't entirely convinced either, so... Uh, oh, dear. I think we'll call it a draw this week. I think we'll, I'll shake your hand, Ben. Uh, I'll show you your hand. I think that just about brings us towards the end of the show. It's been a very interesting week. Looking forward to the Champions League next week. The, the, there are some fascinating ties that are going to be taking place. Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid is the one I'm looking forward to because, of course, I'm a Liverpool fan and I want us to go on and replicate what Real Madrid have done and go and win three Champions Leagues in a row. We do have two to go to get there. Ben, you're rolling your eyes at that. I just... Uh, Liverpool fans just wind me up. Oh, how come? Aren't we the best team in the world? Exactly, that's exactly it. Exactly, and if we're the best team in the world, then these little European sides don't really stand a chance against us. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Gone Too Bar. Hopefully, we'll be back next week with another amazing episode. And, yeah, have a very good day. Goodbye. All of the others have left me here alone in the studio to get up to some mischief. And I thought I might as well narrate to you how difficult it was to actually get in. And I certainly hope it doesn't take so long to get out because it took us about 20 minutes of wrestling with the keypad to get in. We were messaging the head of sport, head chambers, head of station, Adrian Wadlove, what's going on? And I felt so incompetent and I felt terrible after begging the likes of who was obviously a very, very exhausted Ben Sharp to come in, who joined us at the end of the episode. And after our attempts at smashing the keypad buttons and hopelessly twisting the padlock, we asked one of the staff here in the Students' Union here to help us, who glided over and got the key out effortlessly in about two seconds. How incompetent I am.
podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.